You're listening to a podcast from Victory Alabang. We have peace with God because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. Discover more about this truth in this message by Pastor Rice Brooks. Today we are actually privileged to have a very special uh, speaker with us. And how many of you know that God wants to bless all of us this morning? Amen. Amen. Can we just give a Lord a praise for that? You know, it's, a, it's really a privilege for us to, uh, you know, have uh, this man of God to join us here. He's not a guest in this church community. He's actually one of the co-founders of this ministry and of this movement. Allow me to introduce to you our speaker for this morning as we continue to uh, talk about this series on Past Perfect. Uh, Pastor Rice Brooks is actually our senior minister in our Bethel World Outreach Church in Nashville. How many of you have been to Nashville, Tennessee? Everybody say Nashville. Right, Nashville. Okay, I don't know if I sound that right. But uh, I've been there last year for a training, and uh, you know, I've, you know, that church is a multi-site, multi-ethnic, very dynamic church. And uh, his, uh, also Pastor Rice has been instrumental in planting this church in Manila 31 years ago together with Pastor Steve. So if you're talking about uh, one who has put DNA and, uh, you know, the original genes in our ministry, that's Pastor Rice. Pastor Rice is also the author of some books. Probably you're familiar with the Purple Book. How many of you are familiar with the Purple Book? We're using that book. Uh, particularly in our uh, classes on Foundations for Victory. And so he authored that book. He also authored another book on um, every nation in our generation. And of course, the latest book that he has is God's Not Dead, which is the basis of that movie that was shown here about a year ago. That was last year, a year ago. How many of you have seen that movie? Okay. And so that was a great movie. And uh, he's going to talk to you more about a sequel to that. Uh, Pastor Rice is also... Uh, the you know the you know basically the founder and the you know the the one who leads this movement in every nation about more than a thousand churches and about several hundreds campus ministries all over the world not only in the U.S. and not only in the Philippines but we're known outside the Philippines as every nation. Pastor Rice is also the husband of uh, a beautiful wife named Jody. They have five children. In fact, one of their children joined them, uh, joined him in this trip, uh, and he's got his fourth uh, boy, a fourth child. His name is Wyatt. Uh, can you please stand up, Wyatt? Okay. This is Wyatt. He's an 18-year-old golfer student. And uh, are you going to be a professional golfer Sunday? Maybe. Okay. Uh, and, um, you know, maybe Pastor Rice can also introduce to you one of the pastors of uh, Assemblies of God, Pastor Saul. But why don't we all welcome right now with a victory alabang welcome, Pastor Rice Brooks. Uh, Woohoo! Thank you so much. Oh, gosh. This is kind of a dream for me. You don't understand that... Um, Coming here 31 years ago, we really didn't know what we were doing. We didn't know about rainy season. We didn't know. We came in June of 1984. We didn't really have the internet, obviously, to know that there was a lot of turmoil going on in the country. So we kind of came blindly, uh, just hearing, hearing that the Lord said, I want you to go to the Philippines. So 60, actually 59 Americans and one Canadian came for one month to do an outreach in the U-Belt and uh, Pastor Steve, I called him up on the phone. I said, I want you to come to Manila with me, and I want you just to watch the Americans so we don't lose them. Uh, usually when you take Americans anywhere on a trip, they end up getting lost. And, 
the whole the whole mission is to find them rather than trying to help other people. So, but Pastor Steve agreed to come for a month, and it became the longest month in history. Uh, so, 31 years later, he's still around. And uh, but it's a joy to be back because I would come here in 1984 and and. Um, just looking at the, 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 the country was in turmoil, but yet I would look into the faces of the people. And there was something very inspirational to me about looking in your faces. It was something that I never, I hadn't seen in American faces. I saw, um, in, in, the, in the old days you could see images of Americans with a lot of hope, even though they overcame, even though they had hardship. And I saw that destiny in the, in the, in the eyes of young people here especially. It was a joy to be here to preach 31 years ago. I, I think I spoke 30 nights straight. I lost a lot of weight. Uh, just the pictures of me from 1984 in the U-Belt, I was just drenched with sweat. Um, now we have nice facilities. Back then there was not much going on. People would be crying in 1984. We would be, I would be preaching and I'd think, oh, the Holy Spirit's really using me. But it was not the tears from my message. It was tear gas coming in. <laughs> from the street, <laughs> so. but I think more than anything, they loved me because my name was Rice, <laughs> and uh, they just thought for sure my father's name was uh, Adobo or something like that, <laughs> or Balut was my cousin. I have five kids. My 18-year-old son, Wyatt, is here, and uh, it's a joy to have him. It's, I want my kids to see you because I see in the Filipinos the passion and the pursuit of God that many times um, people lose sight of. They get blessed, and as soon as you get blessed, then it's like the blessing came from you. As this nation continues to prosper, don't lose the sight of where it came from. America has lost sight of where that blessing came from. We think it's uh, we trust in ourselves rather than in God we trust. So um, a lot of good things are happening in America, even though there's some challenges but I still, after all these years, find my greatest hope on the college campus. Uh, I have a church that I pastor, but I am at the bottom of my existence. I am a campus minister. Uh, I still, here I am in my late 30s. <laughs> Don't you, you're supposed to be polite. Uh, no, even after all these years... I still go out on the campus to work, to minister, to talk to students. And in terms of doing that, I, I began to see that there was a skepticism, especially in American students, that God, does God even exist? But I wrote this book, God's Not Dead, because I wanted to give the evidence for God to talk about the science, that science points to God. Can science prove God? Well, not really, because God is not a particle. He's not a, a substance. Uh, if you're looking... If you're looking for the creator of the iPhone, you won't find the creator of the iPhone by breaking down an iPhone. You don't find the, the creator of, a, of an automobile by breaking down the machine. You don't tear apart the jeepney and find the person who created the jeepney in there. God is not, God is not a part of his creation. He is the architect. He is the author of that. So if you're looking for God, you're looking for the evidence for intelligence, and so in terms of writing the book, God's Not Dead, and if you saw the movie, it's about a student who is challenged by his atheist professor to prove God exists in front of the classroom. And so I'm sure if you haven't seen the movie, you can find some bootleg internet copy and, <laughs> and, and watch it. Um, but basically, the young man has to stand up and defend 
that, you know, that here's the reasons why I rationally believe that there is a creator. And it caused a stir in our country. Over Now over 25 million people have seen the movie. And uh, just the stories of atheists, stories of, of Muslims, stories of people that, you know, were far away from God or kind of had a different vision of God. Coming to faith is, is encouraging. So I'm, there's a sequel coming out. I, I just finished the second book. It's not out, but I think we've got, you'll be one of the first to see the cover of it if it's, if it's up here. It's called, it's called Man, Myth, Messiah, Answering History's Greatest Question. Now, we'll hold it here for a minute. So, did Jesus exist? Was he a man? Is there historical evidence for that? What about these notions on the internet that Jesus was some kind of mythological pagan deity? That, you know, you hear guys that say, oh, well, the Christianity just borrowed from Egyptian or Persian or Greek mythology, and they, Jesus was really not real. He was more of a myth. That is the myth, that, that that was true. And how do you know he was the Messiah? It says, answering history's greatest question. Now, what would history's greatest question be? I'll cut to the chase because of the sake of time, and the clock is ticking. Uh, the greatest question was posed by Jesus when he asked his disciples, who do you say I am? Who do you say that I am? Because the answer to that question will define your entire existence. Who you think Jesus is. Was he just a good man? Was he just a sage? Was he just some apocalyptic prophet? Or was he indeed the Messiah? Was he the Lord of creation? People say, the Muslims say that Jesus was just a prophet. But when prophets would speak, prophets would say things like, thus saith the Lord. A prophet would announce that the Lord was speaking through them by saying, thus saith the Lord. But when Jesus spoke, he didn't say, thus saith the Lord. He said, truly I say to you. Because the Lord was speaking. They said, never a man spoke like this. Never a man did the things he did. Raising the dead. Jesus walking up to the tomb of Lazarus. A man that had been dead four days. The King James Bible says, the scripture I've used this many times, it says, he stinketh. I've had to apply that to other things in life. He stinketh. Uh, but somebody said, do you have a scripture for me, Pastor Right? Yes, right. But anyway, bad joke. You didn't get it? That's okay. It wasn't good. Just pretend it didn't exist. But Jesus walked up to the tomb of Lazarus and said, roll the stone away. Now, the disciples were a little nervous because they didn't want Jesus to look bad. You know, Jesus, you can heal some sick people, and if they're recently dead, you could heal them. But this guy's been dead four days. And I could see the disciples kind of being like a political advisory group. Oh, Jesus, instead of praying for him, let's, uh, instead of doing that, let's just have a prayer meeting, and we'll come back tonight, and if we hear Lazarus kind of scratching behind that rock, then we'll know that God's answered, and then we'll let him out. Let's don't bring such a dramatic confrontation where Jesus said, oh, stop that. Roll the stone away. And then he just called him out. Lazarus, come forth. He had to say Lazarus. If he had just said, come forth, the entire resurrection would have happened. He just said, just Lazarus. Everybody else stay where you are. Lazarus only, come forth. Who was this? Calming the storms. Speaking to storms. Was he a man? Was he a myth? Was he the Messiah? By the way, I'm going to be speaking out of Isaiah 53 if you want to at least start there. Or if not, you can follow along on the screen. They'll put it up in just a minute. But I have a friend named Gary Habermas. And Gary 
was uh, at Michigan State University, and he was losing his faith in the 1970s. He was, he was listening to all the skeptics talk about their questions about the Bible and about Jesus. And, and so he went in to do his doctoral dissertation, and he decided to do it on the resurrection. And when he told this doctoral committee at Michigan State University, he said, I want to do my doctoral thesis on the resurrection. One of the, the leaders of the committee said, you can do it on the resurrection, but don't come back and tell us that Jesus was raised from the dead just because the Bible says it. And he had to give a 250-page dissertation on Jesus' resurrection without depending on the Bible. And he was worried that he would have enough material to fit in 250 pages. His dissertation ended up being 350 pages. And he said there were five facts. There were many more, but he said there was, and I'll talk about them just, just really quickly, five major facts of history that outside of the New Testament, outside of the Bible, that history tells us about Jesus. Number one, that Jesus was executed by Pontius Pilate. That is a fact of history. Outside of even the New Testament, we know that Jesus died. Number two, his tomb was found empty by a group of his women followers. Number one, he was executed. Number two, his body was buried in a tomb. And then the tomb was found empty by a group of his women followers. Number three, that the Christian faith, the preaching of the resurrection happened very early. Number four, and I'll just stop with this, that the man that we know as Saul of Tarsus was converted on the road to Damascus. He was a great persecutor. He became a great defender of the faith. That is a fact of history beyond the New Testament. So let's just deal with the first one. First few. He was executed by Pontius Pilate. He was buried in a tomb. And his tomb was found empty by a group of his women followers. Now just, you ask yourself, what if these are facts of history... What is the best explanation of those facts? Could his disciples have gone in and stolen the body? Disciples who would have run from any kind of conflict and would have even denied knowing him all of a sudden would have been changed after his death and would have gone in and broken through like some kind of a band of ninja warriors and taken on the greatest army in history, the Roman army, subdued them, put them in a chokehold so that they fell asleep then stole the body and then go out and die for something that they knew wasn't true? You know, plenty of people can die for their faith. They can die for what they believe. But no one dies for what they know is not true. And the disciples would have known whether Jesus had been raised from the dead or not. But they went out and they died. Ultimately, the original disciples, most of them died rather than deny that Jesus had not been raised from the dead. Now what the New Testament does, and that doesn't mean we can't use the New Testament, because I believe the Gospels themselves are reliable. Uh, the sequel to God's Not Dead, the first movie, was about a college student who has to defend that God exists. In the next movie, uh, God's Not Dead 2, it's a high school teacher in America that talks about Jesus, quotes Jesus, and ends up getting fired, and parents sue her for talking about Jesus in class. And so the lawyer defending her says, well, wait a minute. If Jesus really did live and the Gospels are really his words, then why couldn't you quote Jesus any more than you could quote 
Gandhi or Martin Luther King. It's not a question of religion, it's a question of history. And that's why it's history's greatest question. Who do you say that I am? The New Testament, though, gives us the picture. I believe the Gospel, these are the reliable accounts of His words. And what we find in the, in the Gospels and what we find in the Bible are the, the meaning behind it. Because you can know Jesus was raised from the dead. You can say, okay, a man died and rose from the dead. But what does it mean? What is the significance of it? Is it just a curiosity? Now, if you go to the book of Isaiah, this is actually probably the most quoted book in the New Testament from the Old Testament, written 600 years before Christ. In the the 53rd chapter of Isaiah, he says, Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And then he begins to talk prophetically. He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to Him. Jesus was not some movie star. Nothing in His appearance that we should desire Him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we did not, and we held Him rather in low esteem. Verse 4, Surely He took our pain, bore our suffering. Yet we considered Him punished by God, stricken by Him and afflicted. But He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And by the punishment that brought us peace was on Him. And by His wounds, rather, we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. Let me just stop here and I'll read a few more verses as we close in just a minute. We considered Him stricken by God and afflicted. You see... When Jesus took on our punishment, when He took upon the sins of the world, it was considered as somehow, well, if you were really blessed by God, then you wouldn't have suffered so much. In fact, in the Quran, the Muslims say that there's no way that Jesus could have actually died. In fact, Surah chapter 4 says, Surah 4 says that He did not die. The Quran tries to say that somehow that the angels rescued Jesus and He actually didn't die even though we already said that it's a fact of history. So that tells you right there the Quran is not, is not right. But one of the reasons is, is that if Jesus was really this great prophet, if He was really the Son of God, how could God have allowed Him to suffer so much? You know, we have this simple thing. We think, well, if, if you love the Lord, you're blessed. If you're doing wrong, you're not blessed. We tend to think that somehow if you go through anything that's Uh, that's struggling or suffering, that you must have something wrong with you. That's what it says. It says, we considered Him stricken by God and punished by God. Listen, good people have bad things happen to them. Don't think that Christianity is just, and I talk to sports teams, I talk to athletes a lot. And uh, I tell them all the time, and I go in to talk to these American sports teams, and they think, oh, Jesus is going to be a good luck. You know, they don't say it like this, but they go, oh, I believe in Jesus now. Uh, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to, I've got the victory. And I say, yeah, you've got the victory. I said, but also remember, in history, Christians have never done well in Colosseums. You might end up getting eaten. It isn't always a great victory. 
When the Apostle Paul wrote, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. When he wrote that verse, he was in prison with a chain around his leg. It goes to show you that your circumstances really have nothing to do with whether you have victory in your heart. In fact, the real victory is to be able to have hell breaking out all around you and inside there's confidence. Inside there's that sense of I'm more than a conqueror. That's when we know that you believe what you really believe. There was a man named Horatio Spafford who lost everything that he owned in a fire in Chicago back, uh, back in the early part of the 20th century. The great Chicago fire, he lost it. And then um, his wife was on a boat with his daughters and the boat sank and lost his daughters. His wife telegraphed him and said, saved alone. And he'd suffered so much and when he... He said that the people in his church, because he'd gone through so much pain, started saying, well, there must be something wrong with you because you've suffered so much. What sin do you have in your life? And he was so grieved by that, he, went to, he moved to Jerusalem, he moved to Israel. And, uh, but he's famous for a song that he wrote. And he, he, he actually went in the ocean liner, he went to the very spot where the ship had sank and he'd lost his daughters. And he wrote, he wrote this song that goes like this, you may not have heard it, but the title of the song is, It Is Well With My Soul. No matter what goes on, it is well with my soul. And you can go to Jerusalem and see the, the handwritten note of the lyrics still in this place that he started, the American Colony Hotel. It is well with my soul. Regardless of what goes on. But it says he took our pain. Verse 4, he surely here he took our pain. You see, something happened at the cross. It was a great bearing of our pain. Something happened. He, he bore our sufferings. Is there anybody here that needs to know, or do you need any more evidence that there's pain in the world? Pain everywhere I go when I sit and talk to people. I don't have to have a great big, uh, you know, kind of wise introduction of how I'm going to talk about God. I just talk to people and say, tell me about your life. Tell me about your circumstances. And the pain of humanity begins to pour out on me. Doesn't matter where I go, people pour out their pain. One of the greatest challenges to the Christian faith today is not science. It's not, it's not some, some area like that. It's really, if God is real, why is there so much pain? And yet in the gospel, we don't have a God detached from our pain. We have a God, this creator, that becomes a man and bears our pain. It says, surely he bore our pain and our sorrows. On the cross, it says that God laid the iniquity of us all upon Him. Have you, ever, have you ever seen somebody whose life has been so full of pain and you see it in their face? You see the pain of one life apart from God. Imagine bearing the sins of the world. That's why the Roman guard who'd seen hundreds of people crucified said, surely that had to be the Son of God. Something in the bearing of our pain. It says He also took upon Himself the punishment that we deserve. You see, when we commit a crime, we know there's punishment. What is it inside of the human soul that we know that if there's, if there's a law that's been broken, then there has to be punishment for that law. I was going through the, uh, the airport in the city of Dallas, Texas, and I had one of my daughters with me, and I went through the security. And when I went through the security, my daughter followed behind, and the security thing went off. Next thing I know, the whole... It's like the whole airport security had descended on my daughter. 
and they found in her suitcase a ring with three rings and a bar across in her, in her purse, and they said, this looks like brass knuckles. And if you bring a weapon into the secure area of the airport that's considered a weapon, it's a felony, instant felony. You go to prison. I knew at that moment my daughter had a legal problem. And no matter how much I loved her, I actually sat on the outside wanting to go up to the police and say, oh no, she's, she's a good girl. And I wanted to show, let me show you, the, let me show you the pictures of her. Isn't she sweet and she works for me? All of my love for her at that moment meant nothing. She had a legal problem. And finally the lead security man came down and after about 30 minutes decided that that was not brass knuckles and let her go. You see, we tend to trivialize our own sins. Oh, it's no big deal. It was just a little sin. It was just a little thing. Listen, when it comes to a sin against an infinite God, against a holy God, then it is an infinite sin. And if it's an infinite sin, then it demands an infinite sacrifice to pay for it. So Christ took upon Himself the punishment that we deserve. This is the miracle of it. But then, let me just finish by this and then we're going to pray for you. All the way down it says, in verse 10, I, don't, I didn't tell you this in the back, but I know you're quick on your feet back there. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes, and, th- and through that, the li- it makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days. And the will of the Lord rather will prosper in his hand. And as he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By by his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many. Therefore, I will give him a portion with the great and will divide the spoils among the strong. For he has poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sins of many and he has made intercession for the transgressors. You know, he not only bore our pain and our punishment, but he did it so he could bless us. You see, God wants to bless you. And the first thing He does in blessing us is He turns us. Acts chapter 3 verse 26 says, God sent His servant to bless you by turning you from your wicked ways. So the first blessing is to stop you from going down a path of destruction. I was, years ago, I, I used to, I'm playing golf now because it doesn't require as much physical ability. But back in the day, I played a little basketball. And I, I wasn't that good, but I, I could foul really good. And uh, I was playing basketball one day with the guy, and he was killing me. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to cover him. I couldn't cover this guy. And, and uh, found out later he was the starting guard for the San Antonio Spurs. So I figured, okay, I was out of my league. But I, I, I didn't know that at the time. So he's beating me. He almost pulled my arm off and beat me in the head with my own arm. That's how good he was. And so I couldn't cover him, so I started preaching to him. So I just going up and down the court going, man, you need to get right with God, man. You need to find him. Man, shut up, man, shut up. Man, come on, man. Said, come on. I said, okay, I'll, I'll be quiet on one condition that you let me pray for you. He goes, he goes, okay. So I grabbed this hand. I said, Lord, I just pray you ruin his life. I pray you make him miserable till he turns to you. When I got done, he said, hey, thanks, man. <laughs> Later, he told a friend of ours who played at the time on the Lakers, he said, you tell that guy everything he prayed came to pass, and I'm so thankful. How many want me to pray that prayer every day? Lord, I just pray you ruin their life. (laughs) 
But you know what? But but isn't that what God wants to ruin the sin? Because it's going to ruin you. He wants to stop you. And He blesses you first by turning you. But then once He turns you, come here, Pastor Ariel. Once He turns you, let me, let me show you the power of this. Now, we're going to call this, this is Jesus right here. You get to be Jesus today. I figured He was Filipino. You stay right there. Now, see, when we walk away from Jesus, when we walk away from Jesus, Here's what happens. You walk away from me. You go, man, I'm just so far away. I've done so many bad things. And in, in your head, you think you're so far away that there's no way you could get back. And then there's all those religious people. They're hypocrites and they'll just talk bad about me. And so you, in your brain, the further you get away from Jesus, that distance makes this thing go weird in your head and you think, I, I can never get back. But here's what happens when you turn away from Jesus. Here's what really happens. You turn away and walk away from him. Watch this. And you say, man, you say, man, I'm just so far away from him now. I've done so many bad things. If I ever really want to get back, I couldn't even find my way back. And see, here's what repentance is. Repentance is such a miraculous thing because no matter how far you've gotten away from Jesus, when you turn, you're back. And then, and then, you get to see now when I came, when I turned to Jesus, I made a mess of a lot of things, but and I had to go back and tell people that I'd messed their lives up and the, and then to apologize. But at least I got to go back with Jesus. See now I got back and everywhere I went, I started introducing everybody to the one that had helped me. Hey, yeah, I'm sorry about that. Hey, I'm sorry I did. You know, let me pray for you, Lord. I thank you. Just bow your heads for just a moment. I thank you, Jesus. For your mercy today for all people that are in this room. That you care about them. You love them. I pray God that there would be a gift of repentance that would come. That we would realize that you took our pain. You took our punishment. But you did it only so that we could prosper. We could prosper spiritually. Sin only ruins our life. And that's why you want to ruin sin. Because it hurts us. It hurts our families. Lord, you want to turn people today because it's not just about them it's about their offspring it's about what's coming beyond you it's no more about my life I care about what happens to my son Wyatt and each one of my five children but not just my five children I'm concerned about you out here because you're spiritual children spiritual offspring and every one of you has something to do that only you can do that God is ordaining and you're showing up here to learn how to walk with God, but it isn't just about you learning to walk with God, it's because God wants to send you into other places, and because of your life, you're going to see others turn and follow Him. You're going to see the destiny of cities and neighborhoods and, and schools, high schools or universities turned around. Businesses. He cares about you. Maybe today you just say, I came here not expecting to do anything that's made me stand out. But today I know that God is putting His hand on my life and I need to change. God, I don't need to just say I'm sorry. I don't need just to do, give you to kind of some little penance. I, I need a miracle. I need a turnaround in my life. Stand to your feet if that's you. You say, today... I know that I need a turnaround in my life and I'm asking God to do a miracle. I don't care if there's just one person that stands. 
If that's you, stand to your feet and say, I need, a, I need a miracle today to turn my life around. If that's you, stand to your feet right now. One, ten, however many of you. Come on. I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you about 30 seconds to do it. I got a couple of women that are standing. Surely there's some men today that say, you know what? I need to turn. I need to turn. I need to turn. I need to turn. Anybody else? Ten more seconds if you say, I need that miracle. Ten more seconds. Five. Father, thank you for these that stand. Thank you, Lord, for their courage. I pray, Lord, even as they have confessed publicly, this is what needs to happen. Lord, you would do a miracle for them. Lord, I pray for any small group leader here that could look around and say, I'm going to get with you. Somebody's going to come and pray with you. Somebody's going to help you today. You can be seated.